mi gente, welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. This is your host, Natalie Sofia, and this community was born from the need to create a space for Peruvian immigrants to come together, to support each other, to learn from each other, and to document our stories. The stories our guests share with us are deeply personal and paint a new portrait of what it means to be a Peruvian immigrant. I hope you receive these stories with an open heart and an open mind. So let's get started. This season of Peruvians of USA is brought to you by Ana Isabel Photography. Are you looking for a photographer who can capture your piece of history? Look no further. Ana Isabel specializes in everything from weddings to family portraits, and she's here to help you show up as your best self in every shot. She knows that having your photo taken can be nerve-wracking, but she is committed to making the experience seamless and stress-free for you. Her goal is to capture your essence in every photo and make you feel comfortable throughout the day. With her expert eye and attention to detail, she will freeze time together with you, creating beautiful images that you can revisit whenever you want to spark a memory. Whether you're looking for stunning wedding photos or timeless family portraits, Anisabel has the skills and expertise to bring your vision to life. So why wait? Contact Anna at anisabelphotography.com today to book your session and start creating memories that will last a lifetime. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please be sure to share with us in social media using the hashtag Peruvians of USA. All right, here's our conversation. Welcome, Cindy, to Peruvians of USA. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Cindy, please introduce yourself. Gracias. So happy to be here. Cindy Rodriguez from New Jersey. So, Cindy, um, First, give us a little bit of your Peruvian heritage. Everybody I interview, or not everybody, but the majority of the people I interview are Peruvians. And the goal really of Peruvians of USA is to have a repository of stories, of our immigrant stories, of stories of what other Peruvian, um, Peruvian Americans are doing out there, right? So yeah, share a little bit with us your Peruvian heritage. For sure. So, padres peruanos, nacida y criada in New Jersey, but I would go to Peru like every year, every mm. summer break, winter break. So I was constantly connected. So much so that sometimes I would beg my parents, like, are we going to Peru again? Oh, say <laughs> But now so grateful for that. I can't even tell you. So very, I feel like a little, like a little bit of both for sure. How did it shape you to go every year? Um, now I have a daughter, right? And so I'm thinking like, how do I, uh, la cultura peruana en idioma. So like, how did, how does, what, what was the good things about it? And what, what were some things that made it difficult, like kind of growing up in these two worlds, like back and forth, right? Yeah. So like I was saying, I would ask like, oh, are we doing Peru again? Because it, it ended up being like the only kind of vacation, no? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so, but I wanted to explore other places that I would hear my friends talking about when they got back to school from their summer breaks or their winter breaks. And I started to feel a little left out, like, oh, I guess I only go to my home country. Como que got discredited a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, like I say, I'm grateful now because I have such a deep connection with not just the country, but like my family there, my cousins, my primo hermanos. Like, thank God my mom did that to me because, you know, we would see new places here and there. That was the con a little bit. I guess I felt left out of the American story out here, you know, and then she kind of made up for it, too. Like she would take me down the shore, like the Jersey Shore. And a lot of Peruvian immigrant moms weren't doing that. weren't doing both, you know, to say that now, to look back now that I see what my mom did with what she had. Um, but I mean, just feeling left out is, is, is totally okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Llevala todos los años. And I promise you, she's going to love you for it in the end. Porque si no la desconexión, like, se queda conmigo. Like, and it's, that's so, like, you want to pass that on, right. obviously. Right. So I think, I mean, there are some tiny cons, but I think the pros are just going to make up for all of it. Awesome. 
how about like the way you interacted with your family there? Because sometimes when we go back, there could be the tendency of like, oh, la gringa. Oh, okay. totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yo soy la gringa en la familia. O sea, cara peruana, pero cuando abro la boca, I sound maybe El Salvadorian, Puerto Rican, Cuban, Mexican, all of it. And it's the, it's the fortunate like truth of mine because I grew up in West New York, New Jersey. Y aquí es dominan los latinos. Pero uh -huh. de todos. So I pick up the accents depending on who, and all of my friends are from all over Latin America. So I sound like everybody. Entonces, cuando yo voy a Perú, the outsiders are like, ¿de dónde eres? Como que super, super confundidos. And I'm like, padre peruano nacido en New Jersey. And they're like, oh, okay. Y después se van. And then cousins, my cousins will be like, ¿qué dijo? ¿Qué palabra es esa? Like, I might use a different word for something. And they'll be like, esta gringa no and I'm like, you guys, I'm just always going to be like a green guy in your eyes. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I used to have a problem with it, actually, because era como una, I guess be, it started to become a little bit of a complex because then you go to college here. I went to college in Rutgers, very white school. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't fit in there completely. And I didn't really fit in Peru, you know, that much either. I knew I was a part of it. Pero viviendo allá, criada, it's a different story. So um, I, I definitely grew up with like the neither here nor there syndrome, what they call right. it, right. a little bit, but I've embraced it. Like, I think it's taken me a long time to embrace it. But yeah, yeah, it definitely could feel lonely at times. And but I think once you realize that um, it, it could be, but I guess like I'm possibly I'm struggling to phrase it because I'm, I'm struggling with the words, but it's really a blessing because you belong kind of nowhere and everywhere at the same time uh, yeah. and so that there's there's a beauty of that there's you know there's a beauty in that so mm -hmm. uh, all right but so when I travel girl you say peruana I don't mention <laughs> <laughs> no, you that is true yeah and I actually it's funny because like when I got abroad and I say I'm Peruvian um, I got discounts like people would charge me different prices for like souvenirs Oh, yeah. Uh, the treatment is 100% better. They're like, oh, Peru. Per She's from Peru. I'm like, yes, I'm from Peru. Like, I'm in Italy, back in uh -huh. Europe. Like, mm -hmm, that's me. Uh -huh. They say Americana. They're like, oh, that's a shame. Why is your country so fat? Or why are you guys not learning the right history books? I, the kinds of comments I've gotten. Uh, yeah. 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 I, have to, yeah. I have to say, like, since Bush was in office, like, uh, that kind of went downhill, like abroad, American reputation abroad traveling. So it, it, it kind of got better during the Obama, but then went downhill again. Yeah. Cause people will straight up asking you like, why did y'all choose Trump? And I'm like that you're not, you're talking to the wrong person. I did not make that decision. Um, but yeah, it's always reflective yeah. of who we are. Yeah, that's true. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your career. Uh, you have over. For 10 years in journalism and you also create con you have created content for some big names like cnn and others uh, so tell us how did you get how did you get started with journalism and how did you get uh, connected to these companies like to work for uh creating content for them and their projects because i think there are many content creators now and, and and just let me i guess be a little bold and say like you were probably at the forefront right like a few years ago of all this oh content God. creation you know like it's almost like you saw it right for everybody with CNN. So tell us a little bit of that, like that journey for you. Thank you for that context because um, I do feel like an OG contact, like creator sometimes because this wasn't a thing before. Blogs weren't a thing. Social media wasn't a thing. I got my degree in, I think, what, 2006. I started working in 2005 at um, Channel 4, um, the local NBC station. 
And that was, that was a fluke. That was a wonderful, I'm so glad I had a tight relationship there kind of issue because the real internship I was supposed to get was at Urban Latino. But the editor I was supposed to intern under was let go. So two weeks before my internship, I had no internship. <laughs> and my friend, the Channel 4, was like, come here. You know, I think you'll love it. And I was like, girl, I have not taken any TV broadcast classes in college. I really just want to write. And she was like, I think you'll like it. I loved it. <laughs> but when I went in, I didn't even know what B-roll meant. Like, I did not know a thing. I had to learn everything. But then I ended up being there for like three years. So I was an intern and then a production assistant and then a segment producer. And I was working on the morning news show. So I had a really crazy schedule. And I always tell people, like, when you're first starting, you got to be a little bit flexible when it comes to media. I don't know about any other industry, <laughs> but media, because I had like the graveyard shift. So there's like three years. I was starting at three in the morning. I ended at 11 in the morning. So I had to go to bed at like seven o'clock at night when everybody was going out partying. And I'm like, all right, good night, guys, even though the sun is out. still. <laughs> and it kind of was weird. But there was something really cool about like preparing the news for the day for others, you know, and it was live. It was from five to eight in the morning. I got to meet a lot of people. And when you do those weird shifts, you get to actually do more. You get to like do things that maybe a set a producer during the day would only do. You would get to write things that maybe you couldn't do before. So there was a lot of opportunity. And I remember being there and Twitter had just come out and I was like, you know, I think I have a great idea. I think we should, every reporter should have their own handle and wherever they're somewhere, they can let the community know. Maybe we'll get more like, you know, men on the street interviews. And I remember wow. people there were like, girl, you're crazy. <laughs> Never going to happen. And I was like, whatever. So that's why my Twitter handle is just straight up Cindy Rodriguez. People are like, how did you get that handle? I'm like, I believed in Twitter and I knew its power from a long time ago. Like to tell someone where you are in the moment in like tiny characters and people are listening, that's huge. So I remember like watching all of this and I felt like my degree wasn't even like relevant anymore. Like because everything was so like digital now. So I got a job at MediaBistro.com. I left Channel 4 because I was like, okay, my ideas are not landing here. It doesn't mean okay, digital only. And I went to Media Bistro and I became like an events assistant, something kind of cool. You know, I like events. Sure, why not? And but the perk was you could take all of their classes for free if you work there. So I was like, hey, I don't care if you make me a janitor. I'm going to take all these classes because it was HTML, newsletter building, how to become a journalist, like with just the things in your bag. And I was like, this is the, the stuff I need. And it was all like um, local professionals in New York City, plus the professors at CUNY and Columbia. So I was like, this is amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn so much in the next however many months I want to be here. And to me, that was the key to like being in digital. Like once I left Media Vistro, I got a job as like, a, I forgot what it was called, like a digital producer at uh, American Express Publishing, working on travel and travel and leisure mag and then food and wine mag. So I would prepare like their newsletters, like mm. manually. Como que con HTML. I'm like, whoa, wow. that's work. <laughs> that's a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but that opened up all these other doors into the digital space. And I've been in journalism like, OK, since 2005. So I guess I'm going on 18 years. You, I, I got to update that bio, girl. Because <laughs> but that opened doors to like and my first big gig after that was with uh, the Huffington Post. Wow. And I was in Philadelphia at the time working at Philadelphia Magazine as like an intern, quote unquote. And I didn't care about the title because they let you do whatever you wanted. As in, You could write, you could interview, you could do all these things. And I needed the experience. It was a recession, you know, and I wasn't, I didn't want something freelance. I was like, no, you're algo fijo. Like I want some, I want to do something with this. And it's when they were just thinking about launching Latino voices and have posts. 
And that's the gig that I got. So it was me, Miguel, and Cristina, and we launched it together. And that was the beginning of me being like, oh, I only want to be in Latinx market. I don't want to be anywhere else. Wow. That's bold because like, you know, so there's so many, um, I guess there there could be people who who take a pause, you know, with that decision because they're like, all right, do I want to specifically be in this market or cater to a broader market? But like they say, the riches are in the niches. So tell us like, <laughs> what what is specifically at that moment gave you that insight of like, oh no, this is where it's at. Because like now we also see it, right? I mean, it's taking some time, but like now we're really seeing it. Oh, for sure. I mean, I got a taste of it when I was at NBC. Mm -hmm. and um, Well, WNBC. And uh, the earthquake, the 2007 earthquake in Peru had just happened. Oh, okay. And I guess at the time, this was like a shift for me in my identity and as like a journalist. Because at the time, I didn't really feel like my identity could help any story I worked on at all. I just thought, I'm so happy to be here. Like, this is so cool. Como que todavía, like it, the idea of it all was kind of glorified a little bit until like the earthquake happened. And I was like, oh my God, what are we going to do about this? Thinking I'm surrounded by people that are going to really be creative. And I got some, like a reporter, not to downplay his story. Maybe that's all he could do at the time with what he had. But I'm, I'm happy for him that I was around, that I was like, oh, I think we could do better than that. So I think he just wanted to go onto the street and ask random people what they thought about the earthquake. And I was like, that's good. But like, can we get in touch with the embassy and see what Peruvian Americans here can send back home to help? Because that's going to be the first thing. How do we help? Because mm -hmm. that's what I want to do. I want to call my cousins right now and be like, what do you need? Mm -hmm. Or are you okay? Like, mm -hmm. can we talk about the communication? And he was like, okay, yeah, that's a better idea. So boom, I like set that up, got the reporter to the embassy in Patterson. We interviewed them. We had like numbers for things for people to donate. And I was like, had I not been there, mm -hmm. The other story would have gotten done. So then I just saw like this new kind of like, oh, wait, it's it's good that I'm here. Like I'm adding something different that nobody else has here that I didn't even think was an asset, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, but it just in that moment, I was like, I'm so glad I was here. Or like literally the three minute segment tonight would have been like black. And that's fair. Yeah. yeah, OK, vamos a hablar con la gente en que piensan. But like, let's be a little bit more, more proactive yeah. was my thing. So. When I, I saw that gap in the newsroom, like, am I going to be the only, the only one always fighting for these kinds of stories? Como que, mm, that's cool, but that can get exhausting sometimes. So I really wanted to be in a place that was solely focused on that community and yeah. their stories. Como que, no, in that sense, like, it, was, it became like a hub instead of like this individual in the newsroom trying to get mm -hmm. one story done. So, and I was just really surprised that it was happening because at the same time, they were launching Black Voices. Then they were going to do gay voices and they were all doing really, really well. I was, I was so happy at HuffPost. I was there for like a little bit over two years. And then I got poached by CNN to do the same thing at their company, but they were calling it editor for Latino audiences. Very mm -hmm. long titles. What? say I did the same thing, but I would also try to get the stories translated in Spanish, turned into segments, writing for digital, whether it was politics or identity or tech. And it was a really cool job, too, for the next few years. But then we got a new president and he didn't believe in niche positions. So mine was a niche position. So my position was eliminated. And then after that, I launched Vivala with 15 other Latinas. And Vivala was, I think, the first eye opener to like, oh, my gosh, look at what Latinas together can create. And Latinas from all over the country, let alone Latin America, with freelancers and things we were working with. And it was just so cool to be like, oh, look what, what happens when you put all of us together in a room, like what we can make. And that was under Cafe Mom. And like our sister company was um, Mama Latinas. Mm -hmm. And um, it was beautiful. Like I still I still look back and at those times at like what I learned. But from there until now, like 
want to say that was like a few years back. I've been freelancing, but like the last five years now, I've been at Channel 13, the local PBS station. Mm-hmm. And I think that has, that's now my flow. <laughs> Como que I'm not in the newsroom, que está así, like super heavy every single day. But it, I'm get, I get to tell stories. And now I'm working on like my own web series with them that's going to come out soon. That has, I can't reveal everything just yet, but basically it has everything to do with Latinas and financial literacy. Oh my gosh, I love it already. Please uh, reach out <laughs> to like promote this. I'm so happy to help you promote it. I'm like, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. That's exciting, right. yeah. And I love the fact that also just not to tie everything to financial literacy, like the audience knows, I love to be a financial literacy advocate, um, but it's so important. It's so important. Like our parents okay. come here, bust their ass, mm-hmm. you know, and then sometimes unfortunately have nothing to show because we don't understand like the financial services industry here. And so it's so important for us to know Yes, it's a system that has some parts that are broken and that could be improved and be better. But that I think we can also start learning how to navigate this system and win the game, right? So yeah. I'm so excited for you. Um, yeah, I'm excited. That's exactly what it's about. And it's yeah. it's really going to be, yes, of course, my my Latinx community, but también there's going to be information there for my undocumented peeps too, because yes. the same rules do not apply. No. And so like, what's the workaround? What are we going to do about mixed status families, multi-generational yeah. Okay, yes, I've been like child of immigrant parents are not just building wealth from themselves, uh-huh. building wealth for their parents themselves and their children. So it's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on us. So if I can share my story or bring in other people who have helped me to help push this education out yeah. there, yeah, because that's just the way that I've learned. I'm like, then you try to like bring that back out to the community. Like, yeah, that that's that's what's getting me excited this year. So that's so exciting. Yeah, congratulations on that. So what story have you not told yet that you want to? Like you just mentioned financial literacy. So, you know, maybe not, not coming back because it's, yeah, yeah. it's going to get told. <laughs> uh, but like what story have you, that you would love to work on that hasn't been worked on yet? It could, it could be just about Peru or the U.S. or the world. So. Yeah, I think I think I touched on, on this at, on every project that I've ever worked on. But like the identity issue that comes up so often that I don't think we know our identity traumas or our response to white supremacy because we're just not aware of like how we work within those systems or how those systems have affected our mental health. Like to me, I think that's, that's coming out more and more. Like I used to, it was just a me issue, feeling isolated in two places. I'm like, pero si yo tengo los dos, why am I sad? (laughs) There's more to it. So I think like once we uncover the taboo off of that, the guilt and the shame and the weirdness, I think we're all going to be better for it because I think there's like this, I've never seen so many people like interested in how they define themselves in the U.S., whether it's by label like Latinx or Peruana or Hispanic or whether it's like now we're talking about like our gender pronouns. Like I've never, I've never experienced this. And I think like I'm living through it, but at the same time, like I was trained to look at all of this from like a third eye view because of journalism. So I feel like I'm just watching everybody evolve. And I wish that I could like just hug all my Latinx peeps sometimes like, hold on, don't internalize that. Like, it's not you. It's the systems we're in. It's because we were never taught this in schools. Like, mm-hmm. I think to me, that's going to start coming out more and more. And that means that I got to be like super comfortable with like my own vulnerability and my own like story. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly like striving towards that. I feel like I've, I've, I've left little nuggets like on social media but okay like now i'm i'm doing it even like with more intention wow so i do hope you get to tell that story because i do think it's it's going to it's needed 
first yeah. and foremost yeah. is needed and it will be well received. So that's that's my hope. Like I <laughs> I think this I think for like my 10 year old nephew who's gonna get the where are you from question. You know, y quiero prepararlo so that he's not no no one comes for him if they're like where are you from que diferente from where are you from interesado en tu ser who who are you versus right. the other one that's like why are you brown why or why are you here <laughs> why are you here I'm like why, why are you here, here? Right. <laughs> so almost it's kind of like my rebuttal it's like almost like a PSA to everyone who is non-brown or black like uh-huh. you really need to be more mindful about this question because you don't realize that in the process you're othering me mira que siga con esta conversación like education and great yeah. honey i am now upset <laughs> i have a trick i have a trick that i've done uh when What's i get that, when i um when i've been asked where are you from um <laughs> which some with that tone of voice that's like why are you here or why are you around oh yeah has, has been like i would share i would say i'm from peru born came here as a kid and then i i would ask the person especially if that person well particularly if that person's uh white vacation i'll say oh do you know where from europe your family's from and that startles them because they have never ever thought to even ask themselves that question and i've seen some who like literally get like like a um deer in the headlights type of looks which is super fun for me to watch <laughs> hey likewise y'all <laughs> likewise um but others have actually embraced the question and have said oh wow like i know you know italian italy or german or you know like i know 116 polish my right from yep yep but i i want like and my intention with that is like kind of what you mentioned like they're othering me with that question so i want to bring them in and say like oh no this is also your story you're also an immigrant you just happen to be generations later right and so so that's my tip to everybody if you get asked that question just say like oh where from europe is your family from just turn that question around yep i flip that question around all the time i'm like do I give the short version or the long version? I'm going to give you the short version. Let's see how I feel. Because in that moment, I know I've embraced the teaching moment, you know, mm-hmm. rather than being like Jersey. And then they're like, um, that's not what I asked. Like, uh-huh. more like your background. And I'm like, hazla pregunta, vamos. Like, hazlo con gana o no lo pregunta. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. I, I do the flip too. I'd be like, you know, what's your, what's your, you know, your ethnicity, your background. And same thing. They're either confused. Some have even gotten offended. I'm like, oh, you offended because you've equated Americanness to whiteness. Okay, friend, <laughs> the conversation has been over two minutes ago. Come okay, I already know. But the, the very few times, and I and I appreciate those times. That other people turn around. You're like, gosh, Cindy, I'm asking you about your lineage, and I don't even know mine. I'm like, no, I know. Stop doing this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I try to take those moments, like, because I'm like, it's not really about me in that moment. I've let it go. I know how this goes. Mm-hmm. But it's for the next girl that I hope you don't do this to that doesn't have that can articulate what I've already known as a right. grown woman como que yeah. and maybe make you think a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like, when I tengo la energía de celular, especially with influencers in the community, like yeah. teachers and things like that. Yeah, I'll take the time to explain to them, like, you know, if you can, if you can have an end goal to this question that leads to us connecting rather than you mm-hmm. just finding out information that you want and going about your day is very different intentions. So yeah. I get you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as an OG in this uh, industry of content creation, uh, you know, you saw Twitter, you saw just, you believed in Twitter. I have my own Twitter story, actually, around that same time, 07, 06, I think. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who was like, oh my God, so have you heard of this like Twitter thing? You know, you can like share, people can like respond back. And I was like, yeah, nah. <laughs> so I did not believe in Twitter. And, uh, you know, obviously I can't get my own handle now. 
Go or do something. <laughs> but as an OG and um in you know as a content creator, where do you see this industry going now? Because it feels like it's mature, but yeah. at times I'm like, I think there's still a lot to go. You know, so yeah, I think it went from the journalism and the writers and the authors of the world having this power over content creation. Right? And then it just went widespread to everybody. So now there's just like this influx of information. Like, think about it. Never, ever. Like, I remember a time growing up when I was like 15, 16, that the internet was not a thing. Me gathering information was I had to go to the library. I had to talk to uh, an expert. I had to do a lot of legwork, right? And now it's like all available to us. But at the same time, like, I feel like it's become so much information that people are overwhelmed. They don't know what's real and what's not real. And I think that's one of the reasons why TikTok has become so needed, because it's mm -hmm. just like you get to find the information you want very easily there. You get to find the experts pretty easily on there. And mm -hmm. it's told to you in this bite sized video that lands because people know how to work with the algorithm. They know how to tell a story. And so I think I think we're all reverting back to like tinier communities. Like it's not a Google search anymore. People don't go on Google that much. I think I think when I'm with my niece and nephew in the 20 somethings and we need to look for something, I'm the vieja going on Google and they're the ones going on TikTok. The 20 somethings like you'll be there forever. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you might have a point. And, you know, I love information and information sharing. And I'm learning from them in that aspect. I'm like, oh, you're right. They're like, oh, look, I have a story here from this girl in Arkansas. There's an expert here in, in New York, actually. And I'm like, OK, so to me, I think it's it's become more like the more niche, the better. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people are not talking to everyone. They're talking to a very specific audience. Mm -hmm. That's OK. Like before it used to be about like gathering as much as you can to a wider audience. And now I think it's the opposite. And I think a lot of big companies don't know what to do with that. Like, mm. I think it freaks them out. <laughs> yeah. it was. But in the age of like all of this information, like I've never before had so many online journalism courses marketed to me, like be a storyteller, be a, a writer, be a, like every other word for journalists. And I was like, this is interesting. Like it's all going back to like, do you have the credits to tell this story almost? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like people are trying to profit all of all these stories that are now out here, right? Like, I guess that's cool for people that feel like they need that training or that certification. But at the same time, like, you don't. You don't really. Not to, if someone was saying, since you want to become a journalist in 2023, I just came out. I don't think I would need to go to school. I wouldn't. Video production, no school. Engineer, school. Doctor, school. <laughs> Leave go to school. <laughs> Leave go to school. But, you know, in this age with this kind of information and the way that I learned too and, and mm -hmm. being in this world, I think, I don't know, I think the world is going to ask, like, be specific, talk to a certain group of people and only help those people and be as authentic and as real as you possibly can. Because I feel like, come on, like, yeah. it's, it's, there's so many other people, like, no one's trying to be like a celebrity on IG anymore. I think it's about really being as authentic as you can. And that means you got to constantly check yourself. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. hard. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's so interesting. I think it's hilarious that now millennials are like, we're the old folks Googling stuff. So, like, it's no longer Google this. Now it's TikTok that I apparently, apparently it is. <laughs> and I'm here for it because I love getting information that's accurate faster. Mm -hmm. It is a whole new world for real. Wow. Yeah. I have not ventured in the world of TikTok yet. I should because I have my own platform here at Koreans of USA. But I, it, I guess for me, it's not so much the authenticity. I think it's the, um, the privacy, right? Like I, there's mm. certain things that I want to keep private. Uh, and so it almost feels like I can't, right? Like, and so uh -huh. how, how do I balance that? 
authenticity part with that privacy. And so, and I think maybe this is just showing my age. I don't know how, and maybe the young folks know how to do that better than I do. No way. I don't think it's about age at all. I think it's about asking yourself what's sacred and in process and what's good Mm -hmm. for the public. And it could be on themes. It could be to a certain degree on a theme. Mm-hmm. And I only know this because it's only recently that journalists are now inserting their stories mm-hmm. in the story itself. Mm-hmm. We're trained to not do that. That is, be as objective as possible. Being objective is insanely difficult because everyone that tells a story brings themselves to the story, no matter what. You bring your background, your lived experience, your traumas, everything. But try to be as fair as possible. But you know, if it were possible to be objective, then we wouldn't have different news stations with very different <laughs> approaches. <laughs> like, I don't know, Fox versus CNN. Mm-hmm. Same story, different approaches, mm-hmm. different tones, different priorities in that story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I think it's changing. I think it's ever evolving. But um, I don't know. I guess we're going to wait and see what happens there. Yeah, I think I think there's hope. Yeah. I do have a question for you. Like, you know, uh, since you're like a subject matter expert in this area. um, So I think this, 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 um, this new area of content creation with TikTok and we'll definitely put more responsibility on the consumer to use their critical thinking skills. But Mm -hmm. what responsibility do you think the content creator should have in the content that they're sharing? Um, And like that example that comes to mind is, and I heard this through a friend. I have a friend who is pre-diabetic. And wants to, uh, and her medicine has skyrocketed in its scarce now because celebrities are, you know, promoting this, her medicine as a way to lose weight. And mm-hmm. so then regular people who, like, I don't want to say regular people, but folks that don't have that diabetes or not for diabetes are buying those. And so it's just making the supply and demand, like, you know, like it's a tough, tough pull there. So I guess with that example in mind, what do you think is the content creator's responsibility in this set? Oh, and do you see eventually federal regulations getting involved so yeah the ethics of it all so mm-hmm. i mean if i were a blogger reporting on that story you better believe that at the end or in the middle or both i would be talking about you know if you have body image issues anorexia bulimia any kind of mental health issues related to this story or it is sparking some kind of trigger in you please call this such such a number i probably would list two different numbers for this, right? Mm-hmm. One is a general health, mental health line, and the other would be like towards body issues and images and like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because like those stories, they spark something in us. We're human beings. That's why I think it's so cool to have something like Instagram or TikTok where you just scroll away. But it's also, you have to remember those applications are made for you to be, to be there and nowhere else, you know, to be addicting. And also to be mindful of the fact that you're constantly going, your brain, you're not in charge of your brain 100%. You're going to compare yourself to every post you see. So you have to check your mental health, which means now you got to check who you're following. So like, are they good for your health? It took me a long time to curate my feed, you know? And then I was like, if I'm muting all these people, should I even be following them? Like you really start to like reflect. And because you don't want to be surrounded by something like that because it seeps in your subconscious, it seeps in your way of thinking. And that, boom, that is a, a one-way street to like it affecting how you feel about yourself, your habits, and then your actions. So I knew the power of this because I've been in journalism forever, but I'm also someone in the past like seven, five years, I guess, five years. I have not watched TV news or TV. Yeah, yeah. And people think that's weird. They're like, Sin used to be in the newsroom. I know, that's why I'm not watching it because I know how the thing is like, it is news, but at the end of the day, it's a business. 
And if you're not engaged, if you're not tuning in, they're going to figure out a way to bring you in and tune you in. And you have to ask yourself at what cost. Right. So um, I think there's a lot that not just individuals should be responsible for, but as just just as well as news organizations. I think the federal government would like to put some kind of regulations on that, but it's just so many people creating so much at once. It's like out of their control a little bit. Yeah. They would have to ban or regulate, I think, a platform, which I think I think people would lose their minds if that was a thing. Like you already saw what almost happened with TikTok when they right. tried to ban it. So I don't know. I don't know how they would do it. I think it's more about like, let's try to see if we can make the content creators themselves more responsible by seeing like the impact of what mm -hmm. it is they put out there because I think we're better off going that route mm -hmm. than anything else yeah thank you for sharing your insight on that I'm, I'm always curious like how is this going to evolve um so you know you said that these platforms uh, have been very specifically designed to make sure you're there and nowhere else and like to give you that dopamine hit right so with that kind of transition into reclama which is kind of the opposite it's like Go into nature and connect with yourselves and leave yeah. all these social media platforms away. So tell us about how Reclama got started and why. Yeah, for sure. And it's so funny. Reclama's on social and I always tell people, I'm on here to get you out there. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> like, and I wish I could post more, but this is what I am capable of doing at this moment. You know, so I began Reclama was like, like a test. It, it was really, I started to see what this routine would do for me. And I started sharing it with my friends and my primas. And I quite literally didn't know what to call it at first. At first, it was called Pen to Paper Retreats. Long name. And to me, it was like, you know, there's so much magic and being in nature and getting that pen down on paper and writing whatever it is that's on your mind or what you've been dying to finally put out there. Like, this is the time and space. And we did like three one-day retreats in 2018. And the first one like sold out and I was really shocked. The second one was like really packed as well. And the third one I had to actually do on my own because I, I started it out with a friend, but she didn't have the bandwidth anymore. And it's like the universe pushing me to be like, girl, like you got this. And so then it took me a few months, but I was like, you know, I think I want to do this more. I don't think this is just like a thing I wanted to just do once. And, um, but when I went to register it, like for real, like, okay, maybe I should make this like a business. I don't know if it's private hikes, que será. And I couldn't do pen to paper retreats. I was like, this does not sound like, it doesn't sound like me. It sounds like a nice white lady who lives in Vermont. And basically, you know, she has a writing so residency, but that's not me. And so I had to look at nature and the journaling and why I wanted to bring women together as kind of like, this is how we do it. But like, what, what does it do for me? And I'm like, these things help me reclaim myself time and time again. Because I wish it was just a one-time thing. Pero no lo es, right? It's constantly... It's like a constantly evolving thing. So that's when someone started telling me, like, you have to find your way, you know. And, and at this time, I was very involved with, like, the spiritual community or surrounded by tarot readers and people with, you know, beautiful gifts like clairvoyancy and things like that. And I just didn't feel like I had my way. I was like, am I not magical? Como que I don't know how I belong in this world. Let me go for a hike and figure it out. <laughs> and then I started to realize, like, maybe this is it because that's where I felt most comfortable. That's where I would go to to be like, bueno, si no puedo estar en Peru, en la chacra, con mi familia, sin zapatos, just chilling by the mountains, then this is the next best thing. So to me, it was like reclama. Like these things help me reclaim myself all the time. Process is like, this is the process I can do. You know, they tell you like, if you don't enjoy the process, then like the end goal is just going to be exhausting. Like, and I'm like, okay, this process I can do. Going out into nature, like spiritually cleansing myself, journaling. 
and really sharing. You know, there's a lot of healing that happens when you share in a safe space, whether it's one person or a group of women, right? Right. So I started to see all that. And the more I did it, the more I loved it. And so I began with like day hikes, camping trips, retreats. Now there's like a virtual membership and we have like this traveling journal that's making its way around the U.S. because like I want us to all like literally contribute in it, like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. But, you know, boom, I don't know. So I'm very excited. And I didn't think they would be excited at all. They're like, this is so I love seeing everyone writing. And then like they prompt the next person. And so to me, I feel like that's what's missing in the world right now. Like just a little bit of like that magic, like, oh, you receive something in the mail from a real person. Yeah. You're going out into nature together. Yeah. Um, and this became really important during the pandemic. So that's the time where I was like, actually, I'm not going to stop reclama. Nature became the, the number one safe space during the pandemic. I'm going to keep going because I had just launched the year before and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Yeah. But it, it actually, I took a break, but then I worked, you know, I worked it out. And, um, you know, it's been over 60 hikes, over wow. eight women. And we I just celebrated our four-year anniversary. I'm going to share, like, all the numbers with the ladies and things like that. And just to kind of show the the magic of it all, kind of, like, it's for some people, it's just a hike. Wow. Medio un día, right? Like, self-care is beautiful. But for some others that come out of there, they're like, wow, I just realized something I've been doing that I never noticed. I would have never known this with my own people. And now I found this group of women because I try to just set it up as like, no bullshit. This is what we're going to talk about. Safe space. Like what happens in Reclama stays in Reclama. And I have seen so much magic come from that. And I'm like, nah, this is, this is what keeps me going. Like the work that I do with Reclama is actually, it helps me stay in the media game because it like, they say if you haven't gotten laid off in media like three or four times, you haven't been in there long enough. And I'm like, check, check, check. Yellow tenido. Like it's it's a rough place to kind of work in because it's very unstable. Right. But reclama keeps me grounded so that I can go back out into the world to like, like do the damn thing. Like it's it's the one place where I'm like, aquí, like there are no surprises. It's always the same kind of hike. It's always the same kind of magic, but just in different ways. Each one. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember last year you had the hike in California, uh, Joshua Tree, and I wanted to go so bad, but I was pregnant during that time, and I wasn't sharing with the with the community yet because I was keeping it private. And I remember telling my husband, "I'm like, you think it'd be okay?" I was like eight months pregnant. <laughs> like, I think Cindy will kill me if I like give birth. I'm the Joshua Tree. That would have been a beautiful experience, <laughs> but I fear that you would have been so hot in Joshua Tree. But you would have been, you would have just had that baby upon landing in the, <laughs> like, bloop. Yeah, so, oh. that, was, that was the reason why I didn't do it. But uh, again, like to anybody who is, who wants to, who loves hiking or wants to go hike with like, uh, like, like-minded women um, and like journaling, I love both. And so uh, hopefully I'll be able to participate in the near future once my little girl is a little bit older. <laughs> so. Oh, you would love it. You would love it. Yes, please come out. We're having something <laughs> on Earth Day in Central Park. Where I'm basically going to be teaching people the magic of putting your bare feet on the dirt. <laughs> and, real. and we'll take it from there. Like it's yeah. basically called earthing, but you, there's so many benefits, spiritual, medicinal, emotional. So I just want to like really get into it in a place that everyone has access to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Reclama and, um, you know, kind of linking that to me also, when I think of Reclama, I think of connecting with our ancestors. Um, for sure. and, and how they were a lot closer to nature than we were, than we currently are, right? So um, you recently have returned from Peru and you participated in Cindy, 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 
funny. Mm-hmm. I was um, dance your ancestors. How was that? Again, I wanted to participate, but again, I was pregnant. <laughs> well, we're going to be future ones, so maybe you know I want to participate again. So maybe we'll link up in a <laughs> yeah. in a round together. But yeah. I've known Cynthia for almost a decade now. So I met her through the Soy Andina doc. I saw and that she- I saw that doc, and it changed my life. Like oh, I, my I, God. Saw, I saw that doc back in the day, and I was like. One, I saw reflected because again, Peruvians were not reflected at all in the media. Nowhere. You're either, I mean, like, you, again, you were either from Mexico, PR, Cuba, and that was kind of it. And here in the DC yeah. area, Central America. And so when I saw that, I like, I think I supported the director and, and supported the director. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. Anyway, I just wanted Thanks. to say, I wanted to say that. And for those that in the audience who have not heard of it, it's called Soy Andina. It's a documentary. Right. I think you can still buy it or download it. I'm not sure, but I'll put the link oh. in the notes. Both. Um, that's kind of what happened to me. I don't know exactly how that doc got to me, but I reached out to the director and I was like, I got to write a story on this. Like, I'm freelancing right now. I'll pitch it to multiple like places. What do you need? More people need to know about this. Because again, same for me. I had seen myself reflected in her story so much. And I just, I was instantly like, holy cow. I had never in my life felt this way. How do I help them? And two, that's my future friend. Like, no, I'll say, I'm like, I'm like, she don't even know we're friends yet. And We've just, we kept in touch through the interview and then over the years, and I want to say through the pandemic, like we even became closer, just kept chatting. And she told me about this program. And I was like, I'm ready whenever you're ready because to, ex- I have seen your, your journey and I've just to be a part of it and knowing what exactly we're investing in, because I know that you're so involved in the community, I'm down. So that's exactly what it was. It was like, the, it was like a four month course, basically dancing online and meeting and reading literature. So it was like Tuesday and Friday meetings. And there were other women in the group, of course, from different parts of the area. And we basically all had the same story. Like, I wish I was closer to my Peruvian roots. You know, insert different stories with each one. Born over there, born over here. And through Cynthia, like, not only did we get to know the dance, like, I'm so glad we did it the way we did. Because yo sé como que festejo en la casa, right? Festejo con los padres, tic, tic, tic. But I always wonder, like, I wonder what the right moves are. Like, you know, nobody was doing that. So through Cynthia, I was like, you know, I can learn the right way. I can get to know the community through her. Like, this is a, like just a very unique experience. And I'm so glad we danced beforehand because when we got to Lima, it's a 10-day intensive for a reason, girl. I'll say I was 10 days. It was five days in Lima and then five days in Encarme. And this is specific to the Afro-Peruano dances, right? And I'm telling you that she brought in, like, the best teaching artists like in Lima, like the culture keepers of this. You know, we were with, um, I can't even remember all the names. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up if I say all the names. But I will say teaching artists from Lima who are in Peru Negro, who are still teaching, who are, have like their own entities, who are, whose parents were dancing before everything blew up the way it is now. And who are passing on that to like future generations and things. Like we even took Zapateo, we took, Lando, we took some Cueca, we, ta- we, we learned Cajon. Like, the Cajon was my favorite. Like, I wanted to come back with, like, five from Peru, but no se podía, right? I'm going to go back and get my Cajon. And it, it wasn't just, like, classes. It was this culture. They were all bringing their experiences to the table. And th- it made me see that there's just so much more to learn. You know, and it wasn't just in the, like, Lima was very, like, dance studio, but it got him in was a very different feeling because we were staying in the culture center with the Bayambrosio family. So it was a whole other experience to be with people who are, who were reading about in books, you know, and to be in El Carmen, 
Chica, we went just to see the carnavales and then they invited us to be a part of it. <laughs> it was an experience you couldn't have even imagined. Like, I was like, oh, great, we have a nap before we have to go to the thing, right? And she's like, actually, put your dresses on. <laughs> I'm like, eh? what are we doing here? And, you know, for two and a half hours, we all danced in El Carmen, like oh all God. over town. And it was a big deal because it was the first carnaval since the pandemic. So everybody came out of their houses. There was flour everywhere. There was water everywhere. I had never experienced a carnaval like that. I remember them when I was a tiny, tiny kid when I, you know, come at that time. But it was, it was just, it was transformative is the only way I can explain it. You know, to be with people who maybe don't teach anymore and are taking their time to teach with you now because of, uh, or are showing you their homes and telling you their stories is just algo que no se cree de un día a otro. That's Cynthia's work of her relationships in the community. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, a lot of people, as you can imagine, with Peru being like, a lot of people come to take. And, and then by, se toman una clase and they're on their way. <laughs> they're teaching now all of a sudden, you know? So to do this through them was like to be in this capsule of like, safety of culture like we, we could talk about all the things mm. and learn all the things from them so would i do it again a hundred percent am i on an emotional roller coaster now being back from peru yes yes i am <laughs> but um todo vale la pena. like it's it wasn't just i didn't just go for the program that was just a perk like i was going to go to peru in february anyway so i was there with family i was in the chakra and you know helping my mom with her casita that she's like getting settled out there I got to hang out with my, my cousin, who I never really bonded with like that. And then I also, you know, got to do other things that we do when we go to Peru. Like, of course, I had to go to the cemetery. I had to visit some tias. I had to, you know, do these things. But through that, like, I got to meet new family members. Yeah. Well, it's just like this big, encompassing experience. Like, I've never been in Peru for six weeks. Wow. And wow. this is like... I don't even think I'm back yet. Yeah, you're, it's like your soul stay over there. Yeah, my soul is in the plane somewhere. <laughs> Gets here next week. Yeah. Well, um, the program itself, I I would do it again. You know, I'm, I'm I've told her, you know, if she does something where maybe she goes to another part of Peru, and I think that's her plan, without revealing too much. Like everyone should go to her to ask some follow up questions. But I have told her, I'm like, I know you've been to other places, and I know you know more. So whenever you're ready, you have your program, and I will be signing up. Okay. For me, dance is like. Si yo no puedo salir, I'm dancing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't go out for a walk because the world has come for me. I, I trabajo or whatever, and I definitely don't have time for a hike. What am I going to do to move my body? Yeah. Always been dance. Aunque yeah. lo que estoy haciendo, no. Like, I'm dancing. Mm -hmm. Whether I'm mixing hip-hop and salsa and festejo and like a dance, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And if I come out of there, I always come out feeling better than I started. Yeah. So to me, there's so much grounding in that. There's a lot of like, oh, I took back my time for even just five minutes. You I mean, reclaimed it. No reclamas. Yet. So to me, it makes all the difference in how I feel about myself and the rest of the day. Como que yo te puedo dar todo lo que necesitas, but if I don't get my 15 minutes in the morning to do whatever I want, whether it's dancing, drinking my coffee and looking out the window or going for that walk, then I'm cranky. Entonces, to me, it has everything to do with like, if you want the best of me, then this has to be a big part of my life. That's amazing. I'm so glad that it was such a transformative experience for you. Uh, Cynthia is definitely on my list to interview. I think, I, I, I think I've reached out to different like people in the community. And so hopefully that works out. But yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited for, for you and like the projects that you have coming up, Reclama, you know, and hopefully we connect again through either dance your ancestors or outside or Peruana Selective. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's great. Oh, I do a lot. Yeah, you do a lot. Please tell us about that. And then I know you had upcoming events for for Peruana Collective as well. So So the Peruana Collective was started, how funny, 2019 with um, Vanessa Ponce, who Mm -hmm. is homie in crime, my Peruana in crime. And la verdad is that she like reached out to me on Facebook one day and I read her blog and I was like, I love this girl. Like, I need to meet her. And we got together. And we basically just talked about what it's like to feel like the only Peruana in the room. You know, there's Latinidad and then there's being Peruana. Porque if you take a look, it's a lot of Mexicans, a lot of Dominicans, a lot of Cubans, Puerto Ricans in the tri-state area, especially. So when you meet a Peruana, you get really excited. (laughs) You're like, oh my God, there's one more here. Like, it's a big deal. So that year I was like, yo, what are you going to do for Fiesta Patrias? Are you going to go to like a restaurant or something? She's like, Oh, let's go to Pio Pio. I was like, okay, great. And she's like, oh, can we invite a friend or two? I was like, yeah, I'm going to tell my, my cousins if they want to come. Girl, una llamada, otra llamada, un text. It, we kept calling Pio Pio like, okay, van a ser 10. Perdón, va a ser 15. Perdón, son 25. Perdón, son 35. They were like, ya te está mintiendo. O sea, ya no va a ser ninguna. O sea, they thought that we were like lying. Then Vanessa calls me like, we got a liquor sponsor. I'm like, girl, like, what is the meetup? She goes all in because she's like a marketing expert. So I was like, amazing. So we had about 35 like peruanas in Pio Pio for Fiestas Patrias. And it was just a meetup. We called it the Peruana Meetup. And then after a while, I was like, you know what? Like, it was really beautiful to have peruanas nacida ya y aquí in one room where we completely took that you're not peruana enough conversation off the table. Como que, I'm, and I said it from the beginning. I was like, a mí no me importa si nacieron allá aquí, son peruanas. And you could tell some people were like, what did she just say? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. ¿Cómo? Porque hay, yo, no, yo nunca le quiero quitar la peronidad a nadie. Pero a la misma vez, si lo estás quitando de mí, like, you just, you, you build a gap between us. Como que ya no, tú me ves de acá, yo te veo de allá. O sea, I wanted to get close to you, but you're telling me I'm not Peruvian because I was born here. Which technically, sure, true. Pero mi sangre, mis raíces son peruanas, no son de acá. So to me, I'm like, let's build a bridge and not a gap between the communities. Because I know what it's like to go back to Peru and Peruvians be like, you're gringo girl. You're not Peruvian. And I'm like, well, technically, I am. And I'm trying to get to know them more. This isn't helping. <laughs> but to create a space that's safe, where that doesn't exist, where it's about not just feeling Peruana and being Peruana, but like you get to like network with others in the community like immediately because we have that bond. And then two, the fact that we've kept doing it at Peruvian restaurants to keep the money in the community is, is my heart. I'm like, let's keep doing that because we can put other restaurants on just by saying, yo, we're going here. We tested it out. It's amazing. Let's go. And it's created this big community. Like we have like a private Facebook group, but now we have like an IG we're trying to contribute more to. We're doing like, I think four events a year right now, mostly meetups. Mm-hmm. And we're going to figure out the rest later. But a lot of Peruanas have come through like, hey, I have like this Zoom workshop that I teach. Can I teach it to your community? Or like, there's something happening in Peru. Can I please share it with your community and we can get together on Zoom? Like those things, I think it just, it creates this little enclave of people that you can like rely on that are, that kind of think the way you do. And I think that's really powerful because when it comes down to it, alguien hace una pregunta en Facebook que necesitan algo y todos corren y todos tienen recommendations and helpful tips. And I'm like, wow, like that didn't exist to have for me for like five years ago. And now it does Yeah, you feel less alone and more empowered. Yeah. And I think the other beauty about it is that, you know, I, I've shared this in the podcast before where 
Um, unfortunately, some of us grew up to hearing that saying of like, el peor enemigo de un peruano es otro peruano. And like, mm-hmm. and I've, I've heard that. I've heard that growing up and I didn't grow up in a community that had a lot of Peruvians. And so like part of the goal with the podcast and I think with the Peruana Collective and other, you know, initiatives that you have is we're trying to show that like, no, like we can be a united community. We can rely on each other for information and resources and, you know, recommendations and like, let's keep the money within the community. Um, so I think all these platforms that exist that, that kind of like expanded in 2020 is just uh, amazing to see. And it's something that I definitely needed when I was growing up. Didn't have it, but I'm glad that the next generation does have it available to them. So, yeah, that's what it's about. It's yeah. like a, about passing that on for yeah. sure. So as we wrap up, what is the one message you want the audience to take away from our conversation? Que ser peruano es lo máximo. To just, while it might seem that my reclamation journey on social media is is beautiful and heartfelt, that there it comes with its ups and downs. You know, it comes with being othered along the process. It comes with family not really realizing why you're doing what you're doing. And there are going to be other people that don't like what you're doing. And that's okay because it only matters how you want to connect back to Peru. I think has been my biggest takeaway in the past two months now that I just got back from there. O sea, había familia that was like, ¿Dónde fuiste? ¿Aprender qué? ¿Con quién? Como que no lo entendían. And I, I didn't feel like it was my job to explain it to everybody. So like while you're on this journey, whether you're trying to feel like you need to be in both or you want to connect back to Peru or stay connected, is that, you know, to do it the way that feels right to you, to not feel like you have to do it like anybody else because... Como que, for me, eso nunca va a pasar. Like, just go your own path because it's it's probably the right the right one for you. Awesome. Cindy, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. I really appreciate your time and your insights. And yeah, let's stay connected. Please, please. Hope to see you in Peru soon. Yeah. Just wanted to take a break here to share that Peruvians of USA now has an online store. Help us spread the message that El Mejor Amigo de Un Peruano es Otro Peruano by visiting our online store. We also have feminine versions that said La Mejor Amiga de Una Peruana es Otra Peruana or gender neutral versions. This could be the perfect gift for a Peruvian in your life. Visit the link on the episode notes or link in bio. All right, back to the episode. Are you a small business looking to expand your digital footprint? Are you a small business looking to reach more of the Peruvian diaspora in the United States? Consider sponsoring an episode of Peruvians of USA. Peruvians of USA has launched its first sponsorship program. If you're interested, please visit peruviansofusa.com slash sponsors or send us a message on Instagram. Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I'm looking forward to connecting with you there. All right. Talk to you soon. Ciao.